In the old linear model, you may have been able to get away with producing a couple commercials per year to raise awareness for your brand, but two commercials a year is not going to help you drive those measurable outcomes in a performance-focused CTV campaign. That's Alana Roth, Senior Customer Success Manager at Mountain, our sponsor on this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast. Later in the show, Custom talks with Alana about how CTV video is transforming creative strategies for marketers and advertisers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the editor-in-chief here at Modern Retail. This week, I'm really excited. We have Miguel Leal. He's the co-founder and CEO of Somos, which makes a bunch of different Mexican foods. They might be in your grocery aisle right now because I know you're in quite a few different grocers around the country. Miguel has a really interesting background um, with some of really big heavyweights, some of my favorite food brands. So I want to go into just sort of how he got to where he is now, what he's doing, and also just the state of being uh, a CPG startup, because it's a really interesting time to be trying to get traction in the grocery space. And I'm sure Miguel has a lot of insight into that. But Miguel, how are you doing? Thanks for joining. Kale, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. Love your podcast. And uh, thanks for allowing me the time to tell the Somos story. Absolutely. So first, uh, you have a really, really amazing food background. Some of my favorite foods, I'm sure some of our listeners' favorite foods, you you worked at Kind. I know that Daniel Lubetsky is a co-founder also of Somos, if that's correct. Um, but you also used to be the CMO of Cholula, is that correct? That is correct. You've been like Cholula, one of my favorite hot sauces in the world. Well, why don't you just give a brief background of your journey up until here? Yeah, so I... I've always been interested in food. Uh, When I was a kid, I grew up close to the border in Mexico and was always fascinated by grocery stores in the U.S. My mom used to take me to see my grandma in Nuevo Laredo, which is a border town south of Texas. And I will always cross over to the HEV and Walmart just on the other side of the border and spend hours just looking at things we didn't have in Mexico. Fast forward, I ended up working in food. I started my career in big food companies uh, like Pepsi and Danone. And there I was able to learn how to be a marketer and and how to work in this industry. I think it was my second MBA. And like you mentioned, I was lucky enough after that part to first work for three great scaling, uh, beautiful food brands, kettle chips, kind bars, and Cholula Hot Sauce in the three of them as the head of marketing. But also I was able to meet Daniel Lubetsky and Rodrigo Zuluaga at Kine, who are now my co-founders at Somos. So like you said, Somos makes uh, convenient, delicious Mexican food. And uh, yeah, I think uh, since a young age, I was kind of destined to do this. How did the idea first come about? Was you and Daniel and Rodrigo, like, what were you talking about? Was this always the plan? What's the story? Yeah, Daniel and I used to have dinner together when we were first friends and then when we, you know, worked together at Kind. And we saw in New York how much Mexican food changed in restaurants in the last 10 years, uh, you know, just taquerias, uh, you know, started to pop out and food trucks and, you know, anywhere from, you know, cheap Mexican food to super expensive Mexican food, 
everything just became more like the food we used to eat at home. But as people that do retail food for a living, it was the same, you know, canned beans and, you know, fluorescent yellow, uh, you know, hard shell uh, tacos at grocery stores. And we just were fascinated in this category by how modern Mexican food had become in restaurants and how lack of innovation we saw on the Mexican shelf. So that was always kind of like in the back of our head. There wasn't no business plan, but we would talk about it constantly. During the pandemic, Rodrigo started sending, Rodrigo was living in Guadalajara, and he would send samples to Daniel and I and our families and friends just look forward to those samples on foods coming to the house. And, and that's when we realize there is something here. You know, there is certain magic. It can be like all these people so excited. We should probably put together a, a business plan and explore if there is something here. And a year and a half later, we, we are very happy that we did. I think you're totally right in terms of the grocery offerings. Like growing up, I feel like the Mexican food offerings were like old El Paso or like Goya canned beans. Or on the other side, there were more health food, like Green Mountain Green. I feel like there were like a different type of thing that were more American focused, but not necessarily Mexican focused, if that makes any sense. That makes 100% sense. And, and, and to add to what you were saying there, Kale, uh, Mexican food is as big as Italian food in America. Yeah. It's the number one ethnic food. But Mexican food, over 80%, comes from restaurant. Well, Italian food is very popular to eat at home. And when you walk the aisle, it's very easy to see why. Everybody cooks Italian food at home because there are solutions. You buy pasta, you buy sauce, and in 10 minutes, you have something. Mexican recipes are very complicated. When you walk the aisle, there are spices, there are tortillas, there are salsas. It seems like you need 12 ingredients and an hour of your time to cook a Mexican food. And we wanted to present something that would be as delicious, but a lot more convenient than what exists today. What was the first product or products that you came out with? Because you have a lot now, right? Yeah, and, and part of it is we started the business in D2C. And to make a complete solution in D2C, we had to start with a couple of rices, a couple of beans, a few salsas, and a few entrees. And we started that business in the middle of the pandemic. And by the time that the pandemic ended, there was really no D2C business for us. So we had to, last year at Expo West, make a hard pivot into retail and take a D2C portfolio into the retail space. And, and you can appreciate the challenges that that presents. You have a rice aisle with 200 SKUs, and we only had two. But what that year allowed us is to see which ranges and which products were more popular. And this year where we're, as you mentioned, just experiencing explosive growth is because we've been able to figure out that, you know, our rices and our beans are some of our best sellers, followed by our salsas and what shelf in the retail, what price point and what kind of like formulas really have caught up with with our consumers. So with the DTC, was it was it that the margin structure didn't work, the logistics didn't work, or that you just didn't want to pay for your own demand with digital advertising and all that? 
honestly, it's a it's a mix of those three and more. I would actually say that, you know, from the time that we did our beta test back in September of 21st to the time that we launched it in January of 22, our fulfillment costs were higher, shipping was higher, there was a lot less demand. Uh, maybe we should have done, you know, better execution, but definitely like Meta and Google rates were a lot more expensive and a lot less efficient because of the iOS changes that had happened. So I think life was a little bit, it's easy to see it now. I don't think I appreciated it at the time, but life was definitely pointing us into retail. And, uh, and on our first year, we launched in 6,000 stores, which is, you know, kind of like unheard of, but I think. Yeah. A lot of it was retailers just realizing the same thing, that there was this huge opportunity that they could come in and, and kind of like source share from all the delivery and restaurant in Mexican food. So, so you know, we just took it from there. What have you found is in most demand for customers? Like, uh, is it all ready to eat? Is it rice that's pre-made and you put in in the uh, the microwave or like, you know, because rice and all of these foods comes in many different forms and have a variety of different steps in order for them to become dinner. So what have you found is working the best? Yeah, the easiest for consumer to understand, the one that needs the least explaining is rices. Our rices are fantastic. You know, blind test, we are constantly beating the, the big incumbents on the category. We got great ingredients. We got great formulas. I would put Somos against any competitor on the set. But also for consumer adoption, consumers are used to heating rices for 90 seconds in the microwave. So we see the path to adoption of Somos typically starting from rices and some of our salsas, which I think it's the most intuitive. Where we really see loyalty go up tremendously and repeat rates is when we can get a consumer to match a rice, a bean, and something else. When consumers can cook under 10 minutes a complete meal from just three pouches, that's our pasta and sauce. That's really where consumers realize what Somos is bringing to the table because it takes significantly less ingredients. We do all the slow cooking from them. It takes significantly less time to clean. You put three pouches in the microwave and then you assemble a burrito, a burrito ball, some tacos, and then it leaves them tons of time to spend in what we call sobremesa, which is the time after dinner, after lunch, where you can just hang out with your loved ones versus spending it cleaning up the kitchen. Awesome. Can you talk about the pivot you made when you realized you had to go from DTC to predominantly retail? What exactly did you change? Did you have to change all of your packaging? Did you change some of the products? What What was the shift? So yes, <laughs> we had to change all of that. So a part of it was the nomenclature. In a digital space, you get a lot of time to explain things and maybe be a little bit more nuance on the names. When you're on the retail shelf, you have to be super telegraphic. So while we were calling our plant-based taco filling, we call it picadillo, which is one of my mom's recipes, we realized that maybe we were being a little too cute. And when we moved that to plant-based taco filling, all of a sudden the item is twice as productive. And that is the difference between a D2C space 
and a retail space, price points, promotion points, where do you merchandise it? When we started selling on D2C, all the products came with recipes and came in packs. They were meant to build together. So we have to find a way to bundle them in store. So which category do you go to is incredibly important because for I know I've listened to a few of your podcasts, the ethnic aisle, for example, has less traffic, but has more space and more opportunity to create that experience versus putting rices on the rice aisle is going to give you a lot more traffic and a lot more productivity, but it's not going to get you the loyalty that the brand can get in the other aisle. So all of these things had to be changed from year one to year two. Yeah, when I was researching you, you mentioned specifically that the ethnic aisle thing um, in a Forbes profile of you. And I wanted to, can you just go a little bit more into that? When you're talking with a grocer, are, do you say all of our products are in the ethnic aisle and that's where we do the best and that's what you found works? Well, w- when I go and I pitch to retailers, I am not a merchandiser. So I, I don't like to say here is where the product is going to be because you know, Whole Foods is a very different shopping environment than a Kroger, and no one understands it better than our buyer partners. What I do say is, is what I, you know, was answering in the previous questions, which is I want to bring in the mainstream consumer into the ethnic aisle. And in order to do that, we need to create a portfolio solutions. This is what we're seeing with the data. And I use a lot the comparison between other ethnic foods, Italian, Asian, Mexican, and I show the billion dollar opportunity that we have in in helping the mainstream consumer cook a delicious but convenient and foolproof recipe at home. And and that typically yields uh, getting into the, the international food set. Got it. Got it. Can you talk about this first year where you, you said 6,000 retail locations? What what were they? You mentioned, I think HEB is one that I read. Are you in Kroger? Like, And have, have they performed differently or have they had to be merchandised differently depending on those stores? Yeah, because, you know, an HEB doesn't need an international aisle because an HEB is, is mostly an international store. You know, you find a lot of Mexican recipes across the aisle. I think part of it is the success that they found and part of it is also the demographic in, in that part of Texas, right? Uh, we started, so HEB, Sprouts, Meyer, Kroger, Food Lion, and Hungry Root were our first six customers last year. Uh, Albertsons was the first company to take us nationally, and that opened an opportunity to go into a lot of KH independence. And that's kind of what got us to the $6,000 in the first year. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Please stay with us. I'm Christina Ko, Senior Editor at Custom, Digiday Media's and Modern Retail's in-house agency. In this podcast, Interstitial Story, sponsored by Mountain, we speak with Alana Roth, the company's senior customer success manager, about how CTV video is transforming creative strategies for marketers and advertisers. This strategic shift towards performance on the living room screen has really placed a greater importance not only on the creative that brands produce, but how they produce that creative. 
Purpose-built creative is made with a mindset that takes into account both the artistry necessary for producing those stunning TV ads, as well as the business goals that those ads are meant to accomplish. And because of how performance capabilities of CTV, brands really need to be highly intentional about how they are planning and producing their ad creative. It needs to be purposefully built with performance campaigns in mind from the very beginning. On top of understanding the intentionality behind purpose-built creative strategies, retailers need to ensure that they are taking note of performance goals first and then building out the creative process from there for the most optimal results. You can't produce purpose-built creative without first knowing your performance goals. So at the top of your campaign, it's really important to be clear about what you want your campaigns to accomplish, right? These details will influence a huge part of the content of your ads. And that could include things like what KPIs will you be measuring? Which target demographics are you looking to reach? um, And what do you want and hope to learn about your audience? And these performance goals um, that you identify will directly inform the creative production process. Retailers have many methods at their disposal with CTV and when using a purpose-built creative strategy. They can utilize it to more effectively target audiences, play around with unique formats, and much more. Every ad needs to hook the audience within the first three to five seconds. This is especially important on CTV as that hook kind of rips viewers' attention away from their phones and back to the TV screen. For example, if you know at the start of your campaign that you want to attract Gen Z and baby boomer audiences, then you can kind of strategize your creative productions. You produce multiple variations of your hook tailor-made for these different target audiences, right? By producing variations, you can stay creatively agile, really tactfully swapping out hooks to drive increased performance if the ad isn't pushing the needle on your objectives. When it comes to formats, I think unboxing videos are always a popular style for retailers specifically. Um, This style where the viewer watches someone open a package and explore the products inside, I think establishes a layer of authenticity within your creatives because it feels user-generated as if the ad was kind of organically made by an actual customer. And these unboxing uh, videos are also a great format for purpose-built creative, right? As you can feature a wide assortment of products for various evergreen or seasonal promotions, really easily swapping out on-screen text, graphics, CTAs to drive better performance. You've been listening to Alana Roth, Senior Customer Success Manager at Mountain, our sponsor on this episode. And now back to the Modern Retail Podcast. You know, you're a marketer by trade. What has been the marketing strategy? Has it just been focused after the DTC pivot into getting into these stores and going from there? Or have you been doing other things? You know, we've really come full circle. I I think our original idea of creating these beautiful boxes that you could bring home on a Taco Tuesday and all of a sudden have a meal for your family, you know, call it under 15 minutes for under 15 bucks, is, is, is was really right. Somewhere along the way, we pivoted and we tried different things. And now we've come 360 degrees into what would be the way to build that experience, but do it in a retail environment. 
So doing things to answer your questions, you know, instead of just sending influencers a few of our new products, is really about sending them a recipe and a way to explain how this product react together. And it's really about pivoting from marketing a product into marketing a system for the consumers. And uh, we see that in many other categories, but we don't see it a ton in food. Even the example that I gave you of like pasta and sauce, there aren't really brands in the Italian aisle that have both, right? So, so we think this is pretty, what we're finding out, it's hard to find other examples. And, and we're just trying to be like very innovative. And, and I think our next step of the journey is how do we leverage technology in store through chat to, to really bring that digital experience in the real world? Got it. So to be clear, pretty much what you're saying is you're trying to, it, if you're doing, say, influencer outreach, you're not just having them talk about your product, but you're having them do the whole experience, make make a make a recipe with it, and you think that will be a better be a better way of messaging what what Somos is about. Yeah, and the same thing with our cheapers. You know, instead of having like three rices on promotion at a single price point, we need to have three ingredients: a rice, a beans, and a veggie that together can make a veggie bowl in under ten minutes for one price point, the three of them together. And then how do you take that example across the whole path of purchase all the way? Because we know when when we really bring that convenience together and, and people have this food and they can't believe they did it in less than 10 minutes, that's really what drives loyalty for us. Got it, got it. And so how many SKUs do you have right now? So right now we have 19 SKUs. And are they all available in all of the locations you're in or how, how does that work? So they are not. We we definitely have realized that we have some SKUs that are ready to be taken out nationally. Like the rice example that I gave you, we have a product we just launched called Mexican Street Corn Rice that the moment that we you know launched it at Expo, it became like our number one item on TDPs. The moment we put it in the stores, it had twice the velocity in the first week of all of our other items. So we have that product and that range that is ready to be taken everywhere. So it's proven it can stand, you know, in any shelf and be in the first or second quartile of velocities. And then we know we can build a business from there. So that's what we've learned on, on our group of customers today. And that's the way that we are pivoting. And then once we establish that product in set, that's when we can bring the rest of the portfolio to create that, you know, system magic that I was telling you about. How are you, like, as you expand more products or add, you know, new SKUs, new flavors, how are you figuring out what works? Is, is it all about authenticity? Are you going to, you know, are, are there going to be more types of products like, say, for example, a mole or something like that, that maybe hasn't been on the American palette before, but you think could do well? Or what, 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 what do you see in terms of national appeal that will really work with expanding this brand? Yeah, when... when I think you're going to find this interesting, but that is another pivot that, that I forgot to mention. We have a team of chefs uh, in Mexico that develop products for us. We have a network of chefs and they are all in Mexico. And our marketing team is here in the U.S. And I feel that has created a great balance for us between 
what is really culinary forward in Mexico, but meeting consumers where they are. Sometimes we've launched items that we feel are a little bit ahead of their of their time. So going on with the mall example that you mentioned, you know, that is something that we're constantly talking to retailers and seeing, you know, where is a place and what would be the right timing and the right format to bring a product like that to market. What what we found a lot of success to specifically ask your question is when we find an item that has gone broad appeal, like Mexican street corn. And then we can bring that recipe to market, but we can also explain how that product fits with our system portfolio. So it's not about, it's not only about launching the best Mexican street corn rice that we can make, but how would that make better the rest of our recipes? The enchiladas, the burrito bowls, the taco Tuesday that you are making at home with rice and beans. So, so that is where we can check all the boxes. When it's something that has already had broad appeal, we're meeting consumers where they are. We can create a product that tastes better than the competition. And then the third leg of the stool is it can make the rest of our recipes better. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Uh, I wanted to zoom out a little bit just because you have a really interesting perspective on this. But, you know, DTC, you made a very hard pivot. You started digital. Then you said, no, we're going to stores. Do you think it's pretty much impossible for a CPG or a food brand to start out as DTC now? It seems like everybody's trying to get their foot in the door in wholesale. Do you think that's the ultimate lesson here? Well, it is, but uh, <laughs> it, it is also a sign of times. Like you say, if we step back a little bit and we look... Uh, you know, just at the tea leaves on how this whole thing has changed. Building a brand on D2C is incredible because you get to control your narrative. You can be a lot more flexible on your drops. You get first party data, but the environment is a lot easier when, when money is free. When, when money, you know, becomes expensive, like, like it is, you know, in the environment today, you need to be a little bit more omnichannel and, and maybe, you know, sacrifice a little bit that of that beauty and, and lose a little bit of that control by, by partnering with someone that can help you bring that story to life on the shelf. So can you talk a little bit about what your expansion strategy is this year? Is it just about getting into more shelves, having more retailers give you national distribution? What, what, what are the big, the big retailers you really want to plant your flag in? Yeah, I mean, without, you know, revealing too much on, on the places that we haven't launched, we, we made a list of retailers where we want to be this year. And, uh, and we're very lucky. We are four out of five of, of the places that we want to take it. And it is exactly that. It's, it's places where we are going to show up. I'll tell you, the most recent one, we just got national distribution on Whole Foods Ooh, for congrats. 11. Thank you for 11 of our items. We launched them last month. We launched, you know, a product that we co-developed together called uh, Salsa Matcha, which is, which is a Mexican chili crisp. And, and those are the kind of partnerships. What we really want is retailers that we see eye to eye on this opportunity of closing the gap between Mexican food at a restaurant and convenient Mexican food at home. And, and with them, you know, we have a portfolio that is ready to go, that is proven in 6,000 doors. 
And we would like to get that into as many doors possible where, where, you know, merchandisers and retailers are, are willing to, to share this vision with us. Then we have other partners where we are playing with different formulation, where we give ourselves the opportunity to maybe, you know, with the Molly example from before, be a little bit more aggressive to see what makes sense for the consumer, what is the right, uh, you know, level of heat, what is the right level of taste, how much chocolate, how much spices to put in. As you know, there are probably 25 different mole recipes of Mexico. If you're from Puebla or if you're from Oaxaca, like a mole rojo from Jalisco is completely different from the mole with cacao from Puebla. And all of these, you know, development places where we can play, prove that it works before we, you know, put the, you know, the time and effort into getting it into national distribution. So, so I think, you know, we now know some of our items that are ready to be taken everywhere, mass, club, natural, food, etc. And then there are some items that uh, we need to be a little bit more playful, and, and that is exciting too. Got it. When you say be playful, does that mean that you you have specific locations that you're testing them out, or sort of how do you do that that testing to make sure it's working? Yeah, probably the best example is enchilada sauce. So Whole Foods, you know, approached us about an opportunity to launch an enchilada sauce together. Rodrigo, my partner, his family, you know, makes enchilada sauce in Mexico and they've been doing it for 20 and 30 years. And there is no product like that in the market. You know, the, the tomatillos are slow roasted on open flames, which give them, you know, a char and a sweetness that just doesn't exist in the market yet. So we were able to quickly bring those recipes share them with the Whole Foods team, make a couple of arrangements and bring a product to market in six, seven months that wasn't on our pipeline. Launch them, you know, with them and uh, the product is turning tremendously. I got pictures this weekend of empty shelves of the product. We've been in market for a few weeks and now, you know, we are like, okay, you know, it seems like this is not a product that we immediately would have thought of launching, but we are meeting consumers where they are, and, and they seem that consumers are ready for an upgrade to the enchilada sauce that they've had for the last 10 years, and, and we are happy to be the, the brand that brings it to life. Got it. Uh, I wanted to ask, just given your background that you worked for you know, Cholula, and now you're, you're leading this company. How has the conversation with merchandisers at grocery stores changed? Like, like are, are they much more open to, to new types of international foods than ever before? Are they asking the same questions? Like, what are you seeing in terms of the evolution? Well, uh, I think, yes. So first of all, international foods is really having a moment. You know, through Cholula and, and you know, the the work that we did with Catterton and with McCormick, like clearly international frivolous is a big, big theme. I think it's it's driven by many different things. It's, it's driven by a lot of, you know, households with different backgrounds. Uh, I am a Mexican immigrant in the U.S. My wife from, from an, you know, Irish and Italian family. And 
We both, different spices into our households, but it's also driven a lot by social media, you know, the recipes, all the brands. And I'll tell you brands that I really admire, like uh, Fly by Jing or Onsome, just doing a tremendous job, you know, like revitalizing these, you know, categories and, and, and bringing in new. So that I feel is definitely there, particularly in international foods. I feel Mexican food is really having a moment going into mainstream. So I think if we go back 10, 15 years ago, Kale, we can see started in beer and spirits, what happened with Corona, what Modelo is doing today, what the different tequilas, uh, Clase Azul, Casamigos, just exploding in popularity. And it's not only cheap tequila, it's premium and super premium tequila. Uh, if you look at Cuervo Earnings, just doing a tremendous job bringing good quality Mexican product uh, to the mainstream market. And when I see that, especially in the last five years, things like Takis, things like Topo Chico, obviously I would put Cholula, I would put Tajin, I would put Electrolyte, uh, there, just completely having this adoption from products launched in Southern California and Austin and San Antonio to now being able to find them in Maine and Connecticut and North Carolina. And, and I feel like this is really the time to, to really close that gap. And, and why not? You know, why only have spirits and, and snacks and beverages? I think, you know, what, what somos can be a small part of, of this momentum is by targeting Taco Tuesday and the center of the plate. Got it. Well, we're just about running out of time, but I wanted to just ask you about what you're what you're seeing for the year to come. It sounds like we should expect to hear more announcements about retail expansion, I imagine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We have some big retail announcements coming soon, you know, over the summer, another big one in the fall, and then by the end of the year. But we also have some really exciting products coming into the market. I think the one that I'm the most excited about is the salsa matcha or Mexican chili crisp that we just launched nationally with Whole Foods. And, and we're getting uh, 2,000 and more stores this year that we're going to be distributing it. It's a, it's a very unique recipe. It's very traditional, the way that it's made in Mexico through, through the process of the way the seeds and the nuts and the pepper come together. But we actually change it and do it with uh, avocado oil, which has a really nice nutty taste at the end. And it is crunchy and delicious. And we have one of the formulas that is sweet. And it's already taken off significantly in places like Texas and California. And I think, you know, it's going to be a, a big, big deal in, in the balance of the year. Well, I'm excited to try it. Miguel, this has been such a great conversation. Thanks for joining. Kale, thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Bye.